Hi, thanks once again for joining us as we study the Wilderness Wanderings, the book of Numbers. We're in Numbers chapter 28, Numbers chapter 28, and I've entitled this message, What's Your Center? Now, I base that off of uh, uh, just a thought, a concept that I have, but also there's a movie that my family and I, we like to watch. It's called The Rise of the Guardians, and I, right off the bat, I know I'm, this is not an endorsement for the Easter Bunny or Santa Claus or Trolls and Gnomes and all those, other, the Tooth Fairy but it's a, really, it's a really neat movie that we enjoy watching. And partway through the movie, they're, they're working with Jack Frost, and Jack Frost is trying to figure out what he's all about, like what's his purpose in, in life, and what is making him him. And at one point, one of the characters looks at him and asks him, Jack, what's your center? Like, who are you? At your core being, like what, what drives you? What is the most important thing in your life? And it, it made me think when I heard it the first time about that. And I, I know that even that phrase, what's your center, has, has some connotations in other spiritual realms as well and thoughts uh, with some Eastern mysticism and all. And I, I'm not talking about getting into all of that. But I want you to, I want you to think about something for a moment. What is at the center of your life? We often view God as part of our life, but we don't always view him as central to our life. One of the illustrations that I often used with uh, the teens when I was working in team ministry, and still use it even now, is think about a bike, a bike tire. As you look at your bicycle tire, you have your, your wheel going around, but there's two, there's two main components to help that other than the rim, to hold the rim in place. You have the spokes and you have the hub. The hub is at that center part. The spokes, the spokes go out. When you think about God and think about your life, is God simply a spoke? He's one facet, one part of your life that, you know, I, I'll come to church on Sunday, but I don't have a lot of other time to get involved with the ministries. It's not a big deal if I don't, you know, spend time with him on a daily basis. If I make it, you know, a couple of the holidays here and there. Or, you know, even when we look at God as a spoke, it's just, he's, he's there, you know, with a spoke. You can lose a spoke and your life still goes around. But I want to ask you this. Is God a hub? The hub of your life at the center that if you remove that hub, that bike tire will not function. It won't be able to spin it will not be able to stay together. The hub is the key component to that bike tire. And when we look at our life, Christ, God is to be the hub, and all the spokes that come out of our life are connected to him. So my work, if, if God's a spoke and I have work over here, the two don't have to intersect. But when God is the hub, out of him flows my work, my school, my hobbies, my relationship in the community, my, my uh, ethics. All of those come out of my church, my service, my ministry, and God being at the center. So as, as we look at this passage today, is God truly at the center of your life or is God simply just part of your life? God tells Israel in Numbers chapter 28 and 29 that he is going to be central 
to all of their life, to every single part. And he says, all that is said and all that is done in life, I am going to be central to your life. I'm going to place myself. He intentionally places himself into the calendar of Israel's life. And that's Numbers 28 and 29. They're actually one big unit, but for the sake of time, you don't want me to go through 75 verses. We're going to take about 15 of them today, and then we'll look at the others next time. When we look at it, though, it breaks down nicely. What, what are we going to look at today? We're going to look at the first part of where God is going to insert himself in the daily, the weekly, and the monthly routines, the rhythms, you'll hear me say often, of the life of Israel. And so that's Numbers 28, verses 1 through 15. When you pick up in verse 16 through the end of chapter 29, you're going to see God inserting himself and using the yearly feasts to draw Israel and to remind Israel that God is center and all the things that God has provided and what God has done for them. And he uses those yearly feasts. So for this session, for this, this message here, we're going to look at those daily, weekly, monthly routines and what God says in the first 15 verses here. So you think about it in context. God is preparing Israel to enter into the promised land. And as they enter into the promised land, he's going to declare to them what they need to do to be maintaining their fellowship with him, maintaining that communion. Yes, he is present, but what do they need to be doing on a continual basis? There is no communion without commitment. There's no relationship without some responsibility. So what are their responsibilities? What are their commitments that they as a nation are to be doing? And Numbers 28 and 29, it's going to lay that out for them. It was going to help them to develop discipline in their life, to say we're going to intentionally, God is saying I'm intentionally placing this in your life so that you develop the discipline, you develop the habits, you develop the consistency to be doing these things on a, on a constant basis. It was necessary for the Jewish life, and let's be honest, developing discipline is necessary for anyone's life. We need to learn to develop discipline, and in moments when we're not disciplined, we need to get back on track, focus, and use the Lord's strength and use God's help to say, help me to be disciplined and to, to go through life in a, in a disciplined fashion. Now remember geographically. Israel, as they're in the wilderness, at the center of their camp is the tabernacle. And so God is saying, not only is the tabernacle going to be central, but not, and me being there, central, but what happens here, all the sacrifices that are going to be made, the offerings that are going to be brought, are going to be brought through the street camps, through the city streets, so to speak, and brought to the tabernacle. It was going to be the central part. Everything about God was central to the nation of Israel. And God wants to remind that even when you go into the land, I am still to be central. I am still to be your focus. I am still to be the one that you worship. You bring sacrifices and praise and offering to. So verses 1 and 2 give us the overview of the, the next two chapters, really. Look what it says. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel and say unto them, My offering and my bread for my sacrifice made by fire for a sweet savor unto me shall you observe to offer unto me in their due season. So God is going to look at them and notice, notice what happens here. God is the one who initiates this, these sacrifices. He's saying, you're going, this is a responsibility that you have. I'm going to command you. So God expects sacrifice. God says, command the children of Israel, Moses, tell them they must do this. 
This was an act of obedience and faith to God, taking things that were part of their life that they saw as necessary and offering them back to the one who gave them to him. And so he, he, he expects sacrifice, no different than today. God still expects us to be sacrificing, to be giving back to him what he has graciously provided for us. It's all his anyway. My life, my, my portions, my house, my income, it is God's. And he's graciously bestowed that upon me, and I need to graciously sacrifice and give it back to him. Not only does he expect it, God is pleased by correct sacrifice. You're going to see this, and we'll, we'll pick up on it next time especially, but he says, for a sweet savor. You look through 28 and 29, that phrase, a sweet savor, is going to come up time and time again. And it's the idea of my offering, my bread, what is going to be brought to me when done correctly, in the way that I expect, in the way that I have told you, with the items that I have told you to bring, he says, it will become a sweet savor, or that which is brought near to him is then accepted by him. He finds it pleasing. He finds it satisfying. God places requirement upon sacrifice. I think this is, this is really key to understand. He says, this is the type of sacrifice. What kind? It's going to be a burnt offering. By fire, he says. By, by a burnt offering, as he's going to bring up in, in the next verses here, that, that he highlights. Every sacrifice that's going to be talked about in 28 and 29 are all burnt offerings. Every single one of them. So he says, this is what kind you're going to bring. He says, this is how you're going to bring them. You're going to bring them with all these extras. You're going to bring them with the grain, with the wine, with the oil. He's going to tell them the method that it's to be done. He says, basically saying, you are going to approach me in this way. When the sacrifices are uh, to be offered, he says, he says, so I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to tell you how, I'm going to tell you when. He says, they're going to be daily, they're going to be weekly, they're going to be monthly, they're going to be in the morning, they're going to be in the evening. This concept that comes around nowadays, especially in uh, a number of churches, that God really doesn't care how you approach him, that God does not care how worship is carried out, that God really doesn't have an opinion, does not jive with the overarching biblical truths. We see that God teaches about how to approach him. We see that the only way you're going to be able to approach God is through the, through the shedding of blood and through the sacrifice. Anybody just can't come. So it's, it's really interesting when you take a biblical theology of approaching God. God has an opinion. We don't just come to church and do whatever we want and what that person wants. And then with that, no, we must be following what God's word says as far as how worship is to be conducted and what is to be part of worship. He says that this is going to be done. Notice that phrase at the end of verse two, in due season. Now that's going to drive, that little phrase is going to drive the next two chapters because he's going to tell you when the sacrifices are to occur because God is intentionally placing himself into the calendar of Israel. He's saying, I'm going to make sure that you don't forget me. Well, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to lay it all out there for you. And are you going to intentionally follow and do what I say or not? God has said that they are to be offered and he speaks to them. Um, God has said, let me just read it because I just botched that. Uh, God has said they are to be offered and he speaks of them being made by fire for a continual burnt offering. That's talking about the, all these sacrifices. 
So what does God say? You're going to Israel, you're going to offer these sacrifices, and they're going to be burnt offerings. Now, we've talked about burnt offerings before, but let's just do a quick, quick review about what, what it was entailed with the burnt offering. When we talk about the burnt offering in Israel, it was something that the sacrifice was totally rendered to God. It was going to be consumed on the altar by fire. Nothing, um, it's, it's this picture of the visible. That which you see is now going to be rendered invisible. It's going to be brought to nothing. And the smoke that ascends up as it goes up to God is then smelled by the nostrils. That's what's called an anthropomorphism. God doesn't, God's a being. He's not a, a, a fleshly body. But he's, he's helping us to understand that as God smells that sweet aroma of sacrifice, that smoke that ascends, he finds it well-pleasing. He accepts that sacrifice. It's a sweet aroma. The animal for a burnt offering had to be perfect. It talks about in a number of places, if you read down um, verse, verse number uh, 6 there, the continual burnt offering, which was ordained at Mount Sinai for a sweet savor, the sacrifice that's to be made by fire. He talks about that there. The two lambs without spot. It's in verse 3. Sorry about that. Uh, the two lambs of the first year without spot. There, as, as we always see with these sacrifices, they are to be pure, completely pure to be acceptable by God. The burnt offering is also, as it, as it was given to the, the priest to be offered, nothing was given back to the people. There are some of the sacrifices where you would take a portion back or you would share a portion with the, with the community. Not in the case of the burnt offering. The burnt offering was going to give nothing back. So I did not bring this in hopes of getting something in return. I didn't bring it and say, well, I'm going to give you part and I'm going to keep part. No, everything that was given was given to God because God owns all of it. And these burnt offerings, these were not the private offerings. These were not something that you brought. These were public expressions of faith and obedience. And as the nation would bring these and as the priests would bring these sacrifices, it was a very open and public display. You would see the fire. You would see the smoke. You would smell it. You would, you would know all of this is happening because it was that public display of faith in God and his providence and his protection and his care, his provisions, and obedience to his commands. And so they would do that. And then they would always take the blood and they would pour that on the altar, showing that once again, the life is in the blood, as we've talked about before, and that life that was taken is given back to the giver of life. And it is poured out as that, as that sacrifice occurs there. So when we look at Numbers 28 and 29, it's important to note that the focus is on the priestly responsibilities of carrying out of following through on the feast, of following through on the monthly sacrifices, the weekly sacrifices, the daily. So these, these priests would have all these animals and sacrifices to bring on a consistent basis. One of the questions that often comes up is, how did the priests get all of the animals? How did they get the grain, all the wine, all of the oil? How did they get all of that? Well, we know from Scripture that it was part of the tithing and offerings of the Jewish people. Ministry and worship was able to take place because of the sacrificial giving of people. And so we see even early on in the, in the, the Jewish system that the giving of people, the faithful 
tithing and, tithes and offerings of people allowed the ministry and the worship and the fellowship and the communion and the community to continue to function. And so as we, we even look at these, just as a, that background reminder of saying, how did this all happen? When we, when we look next week at the sheer numbers of animals that were sacrificed, the amounts of grain and uh, wine and oil that were offered on a yearly basis, it's staggering. But why did that, why did that, why was it able to happen? Because everybody was doing their part. Everybody was looking and saying, this is important and we are going to pitch in. We are going to be part of the, the ministry and the worship and the service to God. We, he's central to our lives. And so uh, and 20 and 29 focuses on the priests, but they're able to do their ministry because of the faithfulness of the people. Now, one other tidbit before we jump into the rest of the passage. You're going to come across in these passages some biblical measurements. Now, maybe, maybe you're all over, you know, what an ephah is and what a bath is and what a hen is, and you're all good with a tenth and a meal, and a, you, maybe, maybe you know all that. I had to look it up. I had to remind myself, what is it? And the two main ones that come up uh, is ephah. The ephah is about, a full ephah is about 20 liters of dry goods. It's a dry measurement. And so when the, the passages will talk about um, to bring also verse 7, to the drink offering shall bring for a fourth part of a hen uh, for the one lamb and in the holy place and the other for the meat offering, verse 8, uh, that there's going to be brought in. And you're going to see that it's going to be mingled, verse 5, the tenth part of an ephah of flour with a fourth part of a hen of beaten oil. And you're like, I don't know what an ephah is. I don't know what a hen is. General measurement, here, here goes in our, in our society. Ephah is about 20. So a tenth or one-tenth of an ephah is about two liters of grain, dry. And then when it comes to a hen, a hen is about one liter. It's actually just under a liter. So four hens is right, just under a gallon. But a hen is about a liter. So you figure on these sacrifices, every time that one of these sacrifices is given, you're, you're seeing about two liters of grain used in the burnt offering. You're seeing about a liter of oil and a liter of wine going into every single burnt offering that takes place. And you're gonna see those words. So just, you know, you can write it in in this passage somewhere in your Bible so you can just remind yourself about generally how much that was. Now look in verses three to eight. We're going to start this, this repetition. And, and how does God start? He says, to be central to your life, it starts daily. It doesn't just, oh, we show up for the big deals. We show up for these big festivals that are going to come later on in 28 and 29. We, he, God says, keeping me at the center starts daily. He says in, in verse 3, And thou shalt say to them, This is the offering which by fire you shall offer without spot day by day for a continual burnt offering. So he's going he's gonna to look. And Spurgeon, Spurgeon took this whole, this whole concept of day by day, morning and evening sacrifice, to be, a, to be a, just a pattern for him in his, in his uh, walk with God. He even wrote the book, The Morning and Evening, and others have, have redone this book just to have a morning devotional and an evening devotional, something that's, that's focusing on God. These were to, there were to be two offerings, so perfect lambs, two each day. They were to be offered in the morning and in the evening, we see in verse number four. 
and they were always to be accompanied by grain, wine, and oil. One person said God just wanted a complete meal when it, when it was there. So you have the, the protein, the grain, the drink, all of that, and the, and the fats, the good fats with the oil, all together in one. And there's, there's a roundedness, there's a completeness to the giving, the giving that was given to God. These were to be done continually, every single day, one in the morning, one in the evening. This was to be a continual burnt offering. You'll see that come up throughout the passage. And the relationships, the communion with the Lord, it was never to cease. And it pictured that, that God was always there, that God was present, and our opportunity to interact with him was always there. The Jews were to celebrate God in their daily life. And they would begin and end their day, what? Focused on the Lamb. What a great thought. In our, in our lives, how to make God central? Begin your day and end your day focused on the Lamb. Focused on Christ. Starting, starting in a fellowship with God in the morning and ending with maybe prayer or another Bible reading at night. Something to focus your mind on a, on a consistent basis on, the, on God, on Jesus Christ. As we place God at the center of our lives and celebrate him daily, we should seek to begin our day and end our day focused on the Lamb of God. Now, he starts with daily, and then he's going to move to weekly. In verses 9 and 10. Now, I, I really enjoy Jeopardy, and I know they're trying to find the, the replacement for Alex Trebek, and they're going through all the different people. But one of the key, the key aspects to, to Jeopardy is the daily double. And when you get the daily double, that really makes a big difference in, in the game often, whoever gets that. I just use this phrase daily double because it reminds me of the difference between the daily sacrifices and the weekly sacrifices. The weekly sacrifice, the Sabbath day sacrifice, is basically take the daily sacrifice and double it. And then you'll be able to remember, okay, how much, it's double everything on that, that holy day, on the day of the Sabbath. So everything in verses 9 and 10 is going to be a double of. And notice, it, it only takes like two verses here. He talks about, and on the Sabbath day, two lambs of the first year without spot, two tents uh, mingled. And he's going to say, this is the burnt offering and, and he's going he's gonna to lay that out. But that's all he gives. He doesn't go into everything about the Sabbath. It doesn't focus on that. But the weekly sacrifice is offered on the Sabbath day, verse number 9. And he doesn't, he doesn't look and focus, Moses doesn't hear, focus on the work restrictions and all the laws of the Sabbath. That's not the intention here. The intention is focused on what sacrifices what was to be offered on top of the daily sacrifices that were given. And honestly, by this point, it's already known. It's an assumed knowledge for the Sabbath of what is supposed to happen for the children of Israel. So he doesn't need to rehearse all of it again. It has been ingrained into their life. They have seen it. The entire week leads up to the Sabbath in a Jewish community. So they're looking forward, moving toward that, that Sabbath. Now, when we talk about the Sabbath, it's important for us to know the Jews understood that. But we sometimes can have a wrong perspectives on the Sabbath. Or we just look and say, there's, there, we don't even need to worry about the Sabbath. It's, it's gone. It's, it's complete. We don't need it anymore. Put it away. We don't need to even worry about Sabbath. But let's remember, let's remember a few thoughts about the Sabbath. Mark chapter 2, verse 27, as Jesus is talking He's, he reminds us, after even talking in the midst of the Sabbath controversies, he says that the Sabbath 
was given as a gift to man. Man is not made for the Sabbath. We, the Sabbath is made for us. It is designed as something special and unique for humanity given by God. God was not tired when he, when he rested. Do you realize that? When God rested, and that's what the Sabbath is based off of on that, that last day of the week, God rested after creation. He was de- demonstrating a pattern for humanity. That was, Genesis is pre-Mosaic law, is it not? Mosaic law doesn't start until Exodus 20 and beyond. This was already a pattern that God was establishing for humanity, this concept of a Sabbath. He goes on, the Sabbath, what is it? It's God's provision to help his people thrive. He provided it because he understood something about humanity. He understood that we were going to have to be protected from becoming enslaved to productivity because we just want the do, 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 do. We think we have to go, 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 go. We make our lives busy, 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 busy. And we think all of that then makes us something special or something profitable and, and something, you know, maybe religiously special because we never take a break. We never take a day off. We can't. We're too important. And God looks and says, wait, I've designed you to be able to do that. In a society where you can't always, you can always bring work home, do you ever take time away from work? Or are you always checking your emails? Always making sure the texts are ready to go out. And even now, dealing with the whole COVID situation and everybody now working from home, not everybody, but a lot of people teleworking, working from home, you almost never have an opportunity to divorce yourself from being productive. It is becoming a cultural issue. We feel like we always have to go. And God has has designed us not to go, 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 go. He wants us to help. The Sabbath helps us to regain perspective. It helped the Jews to refocus and say, the week led up and now it is time to rest in God. Now it is time to thank him, to worship him, to spend time with family and in community. It's an opportunity for them to reboot, to realign their priorities. And as we look at that principle of the Sabbath, it's interesting as we go on. It reminds us, the Sabbath reminds us that God has built us for pattern. You might not like consistency and pattern. I used to hate it. I want to be the free spirit who could do whatever he wanted. Now I love, I love my pattern. I love my schedule. I, know, I love what, knowing what's going on. The Sabbath was a natural rhythm for the Jews. They would work hard because they knew this day was coming when they were going to be able to rest, when they were going to be able to relax. Because we are not designed to continually go, 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 go. And yet, somehow in our mindsets, we feel that if we go, 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 never take a break, never take time to focus on worship, never take time to focus on family, never take time to sit back and enjoy the fruits of our labor Even as Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, it is completely vain if I'm working, working, working and never enjoying the fruits of what I've worked for. God has designed us not to go, 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 go. And so the Sabbath is important. It's it's necessary for us as humans. But I know what some of you are thinking. Well, Pastor Art, isn't it? It's Mosaic law. So the Mosaic law is done away with. It's complete in Christ. And so therefore, we we don't... worship or we don't observe the sabbath yes and no we don't we don't observe the sabbath day it's not it's not a repeated 
command that we, are, we follow? No. But think about this. When God rested, it was pre-Mosaic law. That was pre-the pre law. It spanned all that patriarchal time, all the way through Genesis, this concept of Sabbath was already introduced. How do we know even that? Because when you get to, uh, you have the Jews keeping the Sabbath before the law. In Exodus chapter 16, they're already observing the Sabbath day. But the Sabbath isn't, isn't commanded to keep the Sabbath until Exodus chapter 20. That's when it becomes part of the Mosaic Code or the law. So this was already a principle in humanity to take, and we, we see it, I believe it is one of those unique things that has been given to, to humanity from the Jewish faith, from God. The, I believe the Sabbath principle is necessary for all humanity to follow. Now, this is me speaking me for a few, for a few moments. This is, this is art on art. I truly believe that we have a responsibility to follow a Sabbath principle in our lives. And I, I think all humans need to, to observe this. Ultimately, I know this, and I understand that, again, in the midst of those Sabbath controversies, Jesus looks and says, come unto me, all you are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? I'll give you the rest that you need. Ultimately, Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of the Sabbath. He is the one that we find rest in. He is the one that we find all of our spiritual comfort, and he's the sufficient one for that. And I understand that, and that is extremely important for us to understand that ultimately our rest is found in Jesus. But Sabbath rest is not something that is for a certain day. Okay? We don't have to observe Sabbath on Friday night into Saturday. We don't have to observe Sabbath on a specific day. But I believe it is necessary for us as humans to intentionally find break, to find a respite time from our routine in order to rest, in order to celebrate and appreciate God and the family he's given to us and the community that he's designed us to be part of. All of those things would be entailed in Sabbath, where the family would come together, the family would spend time, they would worship God together, they would spend time corporately worshiping God. There were these sacrifices that were being brought to God on a weekly basis on that Sabbath. I believe it's really important for us to consider, especially as busy Americans, am I taking the principle of the Sabbath and applying it to my life? It is important to note, the Sabbath is not Sunday. The Sabbath is on Friday into Saturday. Sunday did not become the Christian Sabbath. The sun, we worship on the first day of the week because he is risen. Because that is the day that we commemorate the, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ on a continual weekly basis. And we celebrate that. But it, how important though is it, that principle of saying we need to set aside time to worship God on a weekly basis. We need to set aside time to give ourselves time to relax and enjoy the benefits and the graces that God has bestowed upon us. To take a moment and refresh. To slow down and enjoy. Not to always be going, 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 going. And I think it's a principle that God says, I've placed into the Jews, the Jewish community, because I want them to enjoy that and I want them to remember that I am central to their life. Practicing that the idea of Sabbathing, whenever it might be a Wednesday for you because Wednesday's the day that you don't work. 
It's your day off, and you say, I'm going to take some extra time to worship, spend time with family. It, it's not a specific day. It's a principle that needs to be applied into our lives to take some time, slow down, worship God extra, spend time with family and friends. Because truthfully, if God is at the center of our lives, then worship should really never be inconvenient. If you're listening and your, your habit is not to come to worship, let me encourage you, get into worship. Get into church. You need to be there. It should not be considered as an inconvenience, but it's part of who we are. If God is at the hub, then that's just part of who we are. It is a blessing to be able to come into the house of the Lord and to be able to praise his holy name. It is a joy to be able to do that. It's not an inconvenience. If you see worship as an inconvenience, then I would probably argue God's not at the center. Sure, it's difficult at times to juggle everything that's happening in life, but it ought to be a priority. We ought not be forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. We ought to make this a priority to be in worship. It is part of the weekly routine of our lives. We have a daily routine. We have a weekly routine. And then God is going to say, not only is there a daily, not only is there a weekly, but there is a monthly routine that should be happening within Israel. Now, have you ever wondered, we just celebrated Easter, why does Easter's date change? Maybe you know the answer. Maybe you're well aware of what it is. But it changes because the Jews, they uh, operate upon a lunar calendar and not a solar calendar. They went by the phases of the moon to start each month. Whereas we look at a solar calendar on the consistent 365 days a year, the Jews' year is shorter. And because the, the lunar calendar changes as the, as the time changes, it throws our months and their months off sometimes. And so because of that, what happens with, the, with Easter is that Easter is really the first Sunday after the Paschal or the Passover full moon. Well, when is that? That's the first full moon after the vernal equinox, after the first day of spring, basically. So what happens if the there's a full moon like one day before or two days before the vernal equinox? Well, then Easter is going to be a, a month later. But if it was, if it was three weeks earlier, then you're going to have Easter earlier. So it's, it moves because it's based off of this lunar calendar. And the, the Jews focus on that. Now, we'll talk more about that next time because it's necessary to talk about and how it all fits in with all the yearly, yearly sacrifices that occur. But there's this, there's this monthly aspect, and look what happens here. It's, it talks about, verse 11, And in the beginning of your months you shall offer a burnt offering unto the Lord, two young bullocks, one ram, seven lambs of the first year without spot, and three-tenths deal of flour. Notice that things are starting to get a little bit bigger. He's going to talk about here, Moses is going to talk about the, we, uh, the monthly offerings. He's like, one clear thing that's going to happen, there, it's just, it's one of the rhythms of the Jewish life. That it occurs every new month, every new moon, there's a new, there's a new month that occurs. So in the natural rhythms, there's going to be more focus on God. It makes complete sense then why God moves from weekly to then, or daily, to weekly, to monthly, and then he's going to get to the yearly. He's just laying out the church calendar, so to speak, for Israel. He's going to say, here's, here's your calendar of events. 
Here's what's going to happen. So he says, and the beginning of the months, he's going to say, this is where it starts. Though not much information is really given in these passages, it's actually the most extensive passage in the scriptures on uh, the sacrifices at the new moon or the, at the, uh, the new month. This is the, the most we have. But we know that it was an opportunity for them to pay homage to the creator, to the sustainer. We have went through another month. We have, we've survived. And we're going to give praise back to God. He has sustained us. He has given new life. He has taken life. But he is still God on the throne. And so they're going to offer these sacrifices of praise back to the, the creator in homage to him. And so we have these monthly offerings that are being made. Notice though the amounts are increased. Now we're going to include bulls. Now we're going to include a sin offering in verse 15, a male goat that's going to be added. There's, there's bigger ephahs or hens of, of flour and oil and all the different extra that goes, that goes with it. But notice what it says in verse 15. And this was a challenging thought to me, especially coming off of, you know, for us, Sacrificial Sunday. This really challenged me that I gave, you know, sacrificially, but then what do I do after that? How do, I, how do I give? Notice what he says in verse 15. It says, uh, These shall, the sin offering unto the Lord shall be offered beside the continual burnt offering and his drink offering. He says all of those daily sacrifices, they don't stop. But you, on top of the daily sacrifices, you offer these monthly sacrifices. In other words, all of the other stuff that you've been normally doing, that needs to still continue. So I can't look and just say, well, I gave a lot at sacrificial, so I, my, I'm not going to, you know, maybe this month or the next month or so, I'm going to try and recoup that and not give my time. That's not sacrifice. That's just, you know, playing, playing with numbers to make me feel really good about giving it sacrificial Sunday. That was just a challenge to me. You, you may not be there, but I need to make sure that that would not cross my mind, that I still am continually giving of the natural, rhythmic, daily, weekly tithes and offerings that, that I give, not just because I gave sacrificially, because then it takes away that, that sacrifice dynamic. And so they build, there's this crescendoing, and you'll see it even more. When we get to the feast, there's a huge crescendo of the amounts that are given to, to God. These sacrifices, they continue to go. Basically, you think about it, the yearly calendar of the Jews, it is going to be commemorated on a monthly basis, and it's all going to revolve around God. God is once again saying, I am at the center of your life. And don't miss that. Keep me there. You show faith and obedience. Continually follow me. This challenged me. Is God at the center of my calendar? What, what is my calendar filled with? I filled, I filled this up with my, my calendar right now. Hunting, fishing, all right, turkey season's coming, trout season's open, I'm ready to go. My kids are playing volleyball, my kids are, are doing some soccer, I have my family, we, you know, what's the next fun party thing we're going to do? And I can get so focused on everything else, all the different spokes of my life, that I can move God actually from being the hub to being a spoke. I need to make sure and ask myself genuinely and truthfully, art is God at the center? And how does that impact your ministry to church? How does it affect your attendance to church? Are, how does this, God being at the center or not, how does that impact what ministries you're going to get involved in when we reopen as a church? 
when things, when all the ministries start opening up, if, well, it's so inconvenient. It just takes up so much time to, to have to study for a lesson to teach the kids in Sunday school or in junior church. But you know what? If God's at the center and he, I can use my gifts and the talents and abilities that he's given me, what do I need to do? I need to use them for him. I need to look and say, how can I minister? How can I serve in my local church? If God is at the center, this, this place here is not an inconvenience. This is a blessing and an opportunity that we have to minister with one another. To look and say, we need to get back to some of those ministries of serving and being hospitable and calling on one another and praying for one another, but teaching one another, being involved. And we need to, we need to come together. If God's at the center, I won't look at some of those things as inconvenience. In fact, inconvenient some of the other things may become inconvenient because they're getting in my way of ministering at church. They're getting in my way of ministering to other believers. Who's at the center? Who's at the center? God established these offerings with a purpose in mind. Remember, he's preparing Israel to go into the promised land. And as they enter into the promised land, they're going to be surrounded by worldly influences and pagan religions. And God is saying, if I am not a consistent habit in your life, you're one step, two steps, a couple steps away from walking away. And we see that in Israel often. When God is no longer the center, they're really influenced by these pagan sacrifices and pagan cults and religions. So the daily, the weekly, monthly sacrifices, they were sensory lessons. They were big object lessons. You would hear the animals you would smell the burning. You would see the smoke. You would be feeling the animals. As you, everything about it was designed to remind and to, to stimulate the senses to say, hey, wait, God is at the center. God's redemption of us is so important that we need to keep faithfully serving and following him. They were designed to remind Israel to keep God at the center of life that it was going to be brought there and offered, offered before them. Because God is more important than anything in our life. If he is the hub, that then permeates all of life because God is central. God is not part of our life. God is to be central to our lives. God's design to protect Israel from the world was worship. He says, I'm making you, I want you to do this. Why? so that I'm constantly disciplining you, not in a bad way, but creating a discipline within you to keep worship personally and corporately at the forefront of your life. Have you allowed worship to slip by? Have you allowed your fellowship with God to diminish because you're not spending time daily with him? You're not setting aside time weekly to worship him. You're not setting aside special times to rest and to reflect upon God. God designs these worships, these sacrifices, these opportunities to keep him at the center. In order to reinforce the importance of worshiping God, God established daily routine in the lives of the people. We ought to be doing this for our children. We ought to be doing it for ourselves. Establishing daily routine. God established weekly rest to focus on him and the blessings that he has granted. God established monthly rhythms 
that created discipline in the hearts and in the lives of his children. We may need to just get back to disciplining ourselves, to reading God's word, to praying, to getting up and getting to church on Sunday, not saying, well, it's just a lot easier to watch the live stream. You're, you're probably right. I wouldn't know. I haven't watched one yet. But I, that, that could easily, and it has been said, that it's just easier to do that. We're missing out on the rhythms that God has designed for us, even in the church, to worship together, to come together. The rhythms of worship and the rhythms of life should go hand in hand. It should not be, oh, wait, I forgot. I've got to check my list off today and worship God. No, worshiping God is something I do when I rise. Worshiping God is something when I do when I go to bed. Worshiping God is something that is part of my weekly habits my, my yearly calendar of events is often found out by, hey, what's the church doing? When is this happening? What's going on here? And we, we get that. And when we you know, get back to reopening and get back to some of those things, getting involved and in making the rhythms of worship and the rhythms of service and the rhythms of church become the dominating factor because God is no longer a spoke, but God is the hub. God is at the center. He is central to our lives. Sadly, in Israel's history, it happened that they got away from it. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 1, there's, there's a portion of Scripture there, verse 15, uh, 11 through 15 or so, where Israel is now going to fall into the routine. You know, and it's easy for us to even fall into the routine of Christianity that does not keep God at the center. Okay, we show up, we look our part, we sit in the pews, we don't really sing a whole lot, we're just sort of mumbling away. We're here, we, we listen, but everybody saw me at church and that's good. And then I go about my way and the rest of the week, God is not part of the daily and the weekly routine. And we can easily fall into that trap where Christianity becomes routine rather than being the routines of our life is, is God at the center. Well, Isaiah chapter one, it talks about that. Israel found themselves going through this routine they were doing the sacrifices. They were bringing the offerings. They were following the, the, the responsibilities that were there, even all the feasts. They were doing the right thing. And God says, I have an issue with that. You're, you're virtue signaling. You're making yourself look good in front of everybody, but your heart's not in it. You're really not focused on me. I am not central to your life. You're just doing these things so that you can check it off a list or tell everybody, look, I was there. I made these sacrifices. It was good. Look, look at what he says. Verse 11 through 20. This is just some of the snippets of it. You can read through the rest later on sometime. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me? I am full of the burnt offerings. Bring no more vain offerings Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons are the monthly, the monthly sacrifice we just talked about. The Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even your solemn meetings, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are troubled unto me. I am weary to bear them. He, he looks and he's, he's saying in the, in the book of Isaiah, he's saying all those things that you're doing to me, for me, but your heart's not in it, I find him hideous. I can't, I can't handle him anymore. He says, put him away. But what, what he does then in, in the following verses, 16, he says, wash you 
make you clean. Put away the evils of your doing from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widows. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the lamb. But if you refuse and rebel... You shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. He looks and says, you can get into the habits without the heart. You can check off things, but you're not really involved in it. God is not central. And so why was God frustrated with them? Because they were going through the motions. They were going through the motions, and they were not loving God and loving others. He says, get back to loving the widows. Get back to helping the orphans. Get back to ministering to other people. He says, stop putting yourself at the center of your hub. Stop putting yourself as the most important. That's what they were doing. They wanted art in the middle or you insert your name in the center. And so because you want that, you're gonna do all these things to make yourself look good. You're gonna signal your virtuosity to everybody. But there's no willingness, he says, to serve the people, to minister, to get involved. And he says, I I despise that. He says, repent of that. Get your heart right and get back to loving God and loving other people. Ministering, serving, humbling yourself to them. They were at the center of their wheel. And let me ask you, I've had to really wrestle with this. Who's at the center of my wheel? My decisions, my choices, my ministries, all those different things are impacted. How I serve, how I do church, how I worship, how I sing, all those things are are very much dictated by, is art at the center? Is family at the center? Is money at the center? Is fame at the center? Or is God central to my life? What is God saying in the daily, the weekly, the monthly habits of our life? In the decisions and the choices we make, make God the center. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we, as we focus and we keep looking to expand ministry and we look to uh, worship you better on a consistent basis and more, Lord, we pray that you would help us to keep you central. Central in our worship, central in our lives, central in our work or school or play. Lord, help us to put you there because then you have influence and you dictate all the different things that we do. So Lord, help us to keep you central. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks so much. Have a great day.